decoded. Welcome to this episode of Founder Tech Decoded. I'm delighted to have on this episode Nick Telson, who is a um, much celebrated founder that has exited from his own startup, Design My Night, in 2019. Whenever I've been kind of talking about um, founder-driven capital, exited founders, solo capitalists, Nick's name has come up um, from lots of people that have been on the podcast and also I respect. So it's lovely to have him here. Um, I think he really can provide insight on what it's like to sit on both sides of the table um, as a, a founder growing um, and scaling a startup, um, I guess exiting from a startup and then sitting on the other side as an investor and what he looks like um, and lo looks for it when he evaluates and then invests in pre-seed and seed startups. So Nick, thanks very much for being on the show. It's lovely to have you here. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Looking forward to the chat. So what we're going to talk about, I think, um, that has the most resonance is when you let's go back to when you were a founder because it's a while ago it's not it's not a long time ago but it, it's a while ago when you decided to launch your startup design my night and you looked ahead firstly did you have experience where had you launched anything before or were you and your co-founder kind of looking at, at that vista and going this is completely new to us and if that was the case where did you go um to find information of how to best navigate um, that startup journey and launching something, finding initial pre-seed funding? What, 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 what were the tools and the spaces and the environments that you turned to? Yeah, so it was back in 2010. So it was a very different landscape to what it is now, both in terms of tooling and um, sort of seed capital. Um, we we went in pretty blind. So this was our first, our first venture. We both worked at corporate businesses before. Um, and actually, yeah, went in with not much foresight, to be honest, um, what it means to be a founder, um, what you should be modeling, what you should be looking at, um, vision, uh, strategy on where you want the business to go. Uh, funding wasn't even in our, our mindset either. So, yeah, it was a very sort of carte blanche situation, um, which is why I can um, sort of respect and understand founders today that come to me that, you know, have no experience and no connections and just have a good idea. Um, we, we actually didn't raise uh, angel money until two years in either. So it was a much more slow burn. Um, and we didn't really know about that world at all. Um, it was actually one of our advisors who became an angel investor and then introduced us to five other angels in his network, um, which we then pitched to and got angel funding. Um, we only ever raised half a million pounds. Um, so we raised £250,000 two years in, and then we raised another £250,000 three years in um, and used that cash and took us to exit. Um, very different. I've just launched my, my newest startup called Trumpet, um, where actually we, we raised 1.6 million um, from VC pre-revenue, pre pre-product. So 
very different landscape um, and and very different way of looking at things that we have now than we did back then. So can we actually, because it's a really good AB, right? You're, so you've got 2010 to 2022. What do you think has changed for a founder coming in trying to launch something today compared to when when you initially um, launched in 2010? What, what what do you think if you if you were sort of arrive from another planet and go, oh, these are actually there's a contrast here what would that contrast be uh, it, it's a funny one because a lot a lot of the traits that you need as a founder uh have stayed the same um yeah. w- what i would say is uh, access to capital has changed a lot um the rhetoric around startups and being a founder and how celebrated that is um there's a lot more noise around that, um, you know, and I do a lot of work on LinkedIn and, you know, you, you, there's a lot of founder presence and founder community on, on, on Slack groups and LinkedIn. Um, so that should give you some foresight on what it means to be a good founder and the paths you should take. Whereas back in 210, we really didn't have any information. Like we really were going in blind. Uh, We didn't know what we were undertaking. Um, There is a lot more tooling as well. So, you know, access to capital versus um, companies like Landscape, which actually I'm an investor in. Um, And, you know, doing doing all the legals. Again, we just had no idea how to do that and now you've got companies like seed legals which can help you do it all quicker um so i think that the functionality aspect and the tooling around that makes being a a founder easier similarly starting a startup is easier because of all the the plugins and tooling you can use now just to get going it was a much more spit and sawdust back in 210 yeah but the core values of what you need to be a great founder and launch a great startup remain the same i think so give, given all of that, I mean, and obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit more into that because you're describing founder tech, you know, in what the, the tools that you have been outlining, we've spoken to many of them are, are what we would broadly call founder tech. But why, if that's the case, in my experience with Propelia, that the, the, the average founder's experience of the core function of identifying, evaluating and successfully connecting with the right investor or investors is consistently poor for the majority of people. Um, and, and when I say poor, I mean like, you know, like affects their health, um, affects their timing, their planning. Of course, what you're saying is true. You know, you have to, don't be a founder if you're not gonna be robust and be, you know, be able to iterate and change and adapt. You have to be all, be all those things, but even given, when we think we're working with exceptional founders with, with high founder market fit who really should be able to identify two or three really aligned angels uh, or, or a pre-seed fund, they, that, that experience is consistently you know, poor that if it was um, translated into other sectors, it just wouldn't be acceptable. You know, that level of inconsistency and erraticness and all of that, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be acceptable. Is that your experience also putting on, you know, your, you know, your, your horseplay ventures hat is, is, is that your experience of, of what founders are saying to you? And, and what's your view on that? Look, I think raising money is hard, you know, and, and, and that, and that is at the core. You're asking someone to give you money. You're asking someone to make a bet. And if it's an angel investor, you're asking them to bet their own personal wealth on you as founders. Um, and obviously if it's a VC, 
you know, they've got their own responsibilities as well. And I think the core of raising money is still very human, um, which makes it difficult to, uh, let's call it productify, um, because at its core, you are selling yourself to another human that needs to believe in what you're selling. And that hasn't changed. Um, So I think some founders forget that raising money is a sales process. Some people aren't natural salespeople. Uh, some people aren't experienced salespeople. Um, and, you know, having done sales myself, you know, you have to have a sales funnel and you have to meet 100 people to get those two or three deals. And the same goes for raising money. Uh, same as Trumpet. You know, Trumpet, I'm an exited founder. I'm an angel investor. I've got a huge network. The idea is great. We still had to meet a ton of VCs to get the pre-seed check. Um, so... I think there is tech to help the operational side of it. Um, And then you've got places like Landscape to to open your eyes to all the different VCs there are out there because there are a ton. Uh, Angel investors is a lot tougher because we sort of hide in plain view, um, which is why we created Horseplay, which is we wanted to create a brand around our angel investing um, and rather than just keep ourselves as individuals, as most angels do. Um, but look, if you, if, if you haven't got that network, um, it's a sales process and it's cold outreach. It's selling yourself. It's selling your idea. It's selling your vision. Um, and you have to build that human connection with the investor. So part of me thinks it's very difficult to productify that type of process. So I'm, I'm going to say what I think is the main culprit and I'm aware as I do this, that, you know, your 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 podcast itself is called bitch deck so but i believe that the central axiom around this or axis around this that is causing a lot of the asymmetry and the inefficiency is the pitch deck that's my and i say that you know we're the third series in and i think that is the culprit and i think that um it's the culprit because it's just not a very good tool no matter how much you engineer it or use something like canva to make it look great or get advice around it it is not great at communicating. It's, it, what comes up again and again is actually it's very where it's useful is helping a founder work out their logical flow and work out the the problems in that flow and the areas they can improve. It's it's good as that tool, um, but when it comes to communicating why they're doing something, their journey, their unique point of view, their authority, their founder market fit, the team even, it's very very poor. And because what you have in this early stage space is that, and this comes up again and again, is that when you're trying to uh, evaluate um, an early stage investment, if you're doing it through the lens of product market fit and you're trying to use, you know, NPS or uh, customer lifetime value or acquisition cost, whatever it may be, that to try and get some kind of level of comfort around the risk, invariably those tools aren't going to be very accurate because the startup isn't at that stage. So you can't measure what's not there. So you're trying to make, to your point, you're trying to make human-based decisions to evaluate that founder through the lens of, let's just say, a founder market fit. You can call it, call it what you want. And that that is where the pitch deck starts to come unstuck because the pitch deck is, I, I believe, is a largely product market fit driven tool. Uh, it, is, it, it, it has a legacy in that space and therefore doesn't behave very well when you're looking, trying to evaluate those. Um, so one of the phrases that came up, I think it might be from Amrit from Simvan. Um, he just talked about suboptimal cues. Or it might be in Gian Sierra. There's, these concepts came up that when you're evaluating, you, you haven't really got much around product. 
So you're trying to pick up these other cues, the human traits. And that's where I think it breaks down because I don't think the pitch deck is is very good for that or is designed to do that. But I'd obviously love to know your, your view on that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a space I've sort of dug into quite hard over the last few years. As you mentioned, my, my podcast pitch deck is all around pitching. Yeah. Um, and I, I see tons and tons and tons of, of these decks monthly. Um, look, I think I think it's twofold with the pitch, with the pitch deck itself. I, I agree. Um, it's it's it, it, we use PDF and PowerPoint still, which are like 30 year old tools. Yeah. Um, so very static. Um, and a medium that should be the opposite of static when you're pre- presenting your your exciting startup to an investor. Uh, funny, funny, you mentioned that the, our trumpet, our new business, is in the sales space. But the first iteration, the first idea we had for trumpet, uh, which is around creating sort of personalised uh, microsites, yeah, sort of the Canva for salespeople, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Um, the first iteration idea was in this space was actually let's get founders to use it as their pitch deck because it's engaging it has audio it has video um you can personalize it to each vc etc um and then actually use those microsites ongoing to update your investors with your progress uh, all contained in like a, a nice a nice microsite um we we use that trumpet for our investors obviously so we, yeah. we keep them updated with our, our pods as we call them so that was the first iteration of the idea. We, we, we went into the sales side in the end because it's just a, a much, 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 much bigger market globally. Um, but yeah, that falls on that point that it is a bit broken. Um, as I said, it's, it's very static. Um, it doesn't really get your personality across, um, especially as you said, when you're investing really on that gut feel of the person. Um, however, the, what I will say, the flip of that is I, I, I still think 85% of founders and decks I see are poor. Um, and and for me, that is the founder's fault. Um, you know, that there is a way to create a somewhat engaging deck in 10 to 15 slides max, um, which all you need is that intrigue as, as an, as an, as an investor. Um, you know, you're not really digging into everything at that point. Um, so if you open up uh, a deck that's written with personality, that's engaging to look at, gets across like the core themes of problem, solution, why us, why now, um, that is a brochure that, again, people forget. Most investors spend maximum two minutes on a deck. Um, so if you get all of those themes into a very tightly written, let's just say, Google slide, um, it still can can get across what you need, which is to get you to the next stage. As I say, it's a sales process. You want to get the next stage of the sale, which is then having that 30 minute chat with the investor. And that's when you get across your passion, your enthusiasm, the opportunity, the vision, why you're a great founder, etc. Um, so I do think a lot of founders uh, overload stage one, which is the pitch deck. Um, but yeah, look, at, at its core, I agree um, that there are probably other ways you could you could do it. You know, is that even personality tests, um, uh, personality tests amongst the team? Like, is this yeah. person the right CEO to be the CEO? Yeah. Uh, does the CEO work with the CTO well? Um, and look, good investors will know what they're looking for when they're flicking through a deck. Um, and, and really, it's just those little glimmers of hope that you're like, OK, this is worth a 30 minute call. 
Um, but yeah, look, we, we've had advancements in tech in um, recruitment. So, you know, now all these sort of like Tinder star recruitment apps, which yep. are like video led, personality driven rather than a CV. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallels there. You know, a CV is a very static, boring document that doesn't really get across who the person is. And I think, as you said, when you're investing seed, pre-seed, it's all about the people. Uh, you know, obviously, you need a good idea, but it's about the people. And I don't think at this stage, uh, yeah, a, a static PowerPoint gets across that um, spark of the of the founder. Yeah, it is a remarkable thing. I think that that, that, that those tools, like you said, the, the fact they're on PDF and you know PowerPoint, it's it's, it's just a, it's just a strange paradox that those haven't been rethought. I mean, we, we, we've got a point of view on that. I mean, one of the terms that we're trying to introduce the idea of kind of a co-pilot. So you know, it's not co-founder. You know, what, what investors and and, um, and founders essentially want is that kind of co-pilot thing where they're totally aligned and they both genuinely adding value. Um, in that, in that, you know, that next 12 months, there's, there's actually that identifying of each other and an understanding of what that means. Because a lot of the stuff that breaks down is because it's not defined what the founder actually needs. It's not defined properly what the found, uh, investor can actually give, and all of that stuff kind of, kind of breaks down. My favorite founder market fit story is: um, <clears throat> Do you know the real Iron Man, Richard Browning? Have you come up, seen him on LinkedIn? He's, he's yeah, there. the name rings about. The guy, he basically, he's he's, he's uh, he learned how to fly by, properly. Like he put, like built a proper, not just jetpack, but he can fly on the oceans. He can fly, you know, land on aircraft characters, flies up mountains. And when I met him, he was running the um, startup division of BP. He was a trader, but he kind of taken it on himself. And I met with him, and he kind of pitched this. Um, he said, I'm, "He said I'm going to learn how to fly," and it was like, it was, it was. There was nothing in his product market fit that suggested that this was achievable. And I told him to stop. I said, "This is ridiculous." And just sheer through sheer, not just will, but he. When you actually understood all of the attributes that he had, he was, you know, he was an ex civil engineer. He could do calisthenics. He would get up in the morning and run at two a.m. to five a.m. to get peak performance. And he was willing to kind of iterate and learn. There's a great video of showing him how he kind of went to B&Q, strapped on some kind of like engines onto his uh, arms and fell over and fell over and fell over and eventually, you know, got five feet off the ground. To, and um, my, the, the reason why I love it is one is I got it completely wrong and told him to stop, which was, was which once you realize what he's done is ridiculous. But but also it's my belief that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the, actually the what investors are, 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 are need to identify is... Um, as a serious point here is I think a lot of the obvious kind of B2B SaaS marketplace opportunities, they're not, they're not there, uh, um, sort of lying above ground that are just sort of, you know, there's not, there's not, there's not the Monzo in the FinTech or, and, and, and the sort of their counterpart are not as obvious or in real time, you know, grocery deliveries or whatever, whatever you pick. And so I actually think what you need to do is move the next level down and rapidly identify exceptional founders that do have these human qualities, that do have this founder market fit, because I actually believe that that's where most of the rich opportunities now lie. And I think founder tech's job is to basically facilitate the elevation of those people and, the, and like I said, the identification of the, the aligned investors and, and, and bring more of those, bring more fluidity around those, those next level down opportunities, because I think it, they might take longer but those are the people who are going to open up new markets, new genuine new innovation, rather than kind of like grazing through decks for these kind of top level SaaS opportunities. 
again, does that does that resonate at all in terms of what you look like uh, look for when you're you know looking to invest with horseplay? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, yeah, founder market fit, uh, even super super early stage is 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 vital. Um, as you say, there's you know very few low hanging fruit ideas out there anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, I personally love a niche. So you know, if someone comes to me, like I have worked in in this for ten years. Yeah. And I know this business. I know this inside out, and this is why it's broken. Um, you know, that's that's very powerful. And that was the same with Trumpet. You know, we'd done B two B sales for ten years at Design My Night, and I knew what was broken. Um, so you know, that's a very powerful message. The flip you might hear some investors say is actually fresh eyes on an antiquated business. Um, Will, will give you that spark let's you know you mentioned monzo i'm not i don't think they worked in banking before um so you know if you come at a, an industry with very fresh eyes you can see what all the problems are um much fresher than someone who's been burnt by for 10 years in that sure. industry so there's there's a bit of a and b on that um but i think yeah pr- product market fit and and the and and and, and i like the idea of startup founder fit you know yeah. is the founder the right exactly. person to run a startup you can have a great idea but be you know not actually the person to take it forward which as an investor you got to make that decision as well you know i turned down some really good ideas but i didn't think the founder was the right person to take it forward that's a very difficult decision to make and and actually quite gut led rightly or wrongly um i think you know obviously this is about founder tech and i, I I, I think there is also something to be said around founder tech before even coming to an investor. So, you know, I, I've written quite a bit on LinkedIn about idea generation and idea proof and how you can get proof of concept without the actual product. Um, and how do you really, you know, m- one of my biggest mantras when I come up with an idea is try and do everything you can to dissuade yourself that it's a good idea yeah most founders will do the opposite so they'll come up with the idea they'll get excited great next thing they'll probably do is think of a name (laughs) and then the minute you start thinking of a name you're in it and you're excited and you're you know you only really see the positives um for me the name comes right at the end um for trumpet we spent four months scoping out the idea without even thinking about the product or the brand or the name. Yep. Um, and I think there, there could be some tech around there. You know, for us, it was very manual and we actually phoned, we spoke to 150 salespeople. Um, we created a notion board of positives, negatives, indifferences, ideas from all of those calls. Um, we then moved it forward to like buying intent, like, okay, we've listened to you. This is now what we're thinking of building. What do you think? What's your buying intent? Um, so we, we basically built up this sort of proof of concepts pre having the concept. And I think stuff like that, when you're bringing it to angel investors, especially pre-seed, could be pretty powerful. Um, so I think that there could be a lot of tech around, founder tech around idea generation, proving the idea is a good thing. Um, f- forecasting tools, uh, you know, most founders I speak to really struggle with like a financial plan. Um, and they're either going to have to go and spend five grand for someone to build it for them. Um, so I think tooling around 
putting together a very quick financial model where you can change the parameters uh, as you go, I think is quite a cool space to look at as well. Um, so for me, all of that stuff is pre even matching with an investor, um, especially pre-seed, which I think is is a potentially exciting space as well. I, I totally agree. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at, I think there's massive potential there. Um, and I think if you can then align, do that, prove that very quickly around the founder, I think the comparison with the CV is really good too. Then the investor has, can, because what that investor wants is a very quick, intuitive read, right, on that founder. But if the question that they're asking is, are they the right person to solve the problem? That is hugely useful before before they even get into a longer conversation, if you know what I mean. And that that can be done much quicker and weed out on both sides. This isn't right. It doesn't That doesn't have to take the, the time that it takes at the moment. Um, just on that point, what if I was, I haven't asked this before, but what would be your top three, four, five pieces of founder tech? I'm assuming landscape, you know, you said you, I didn't know you were an investor, but you know, like I think what those guys have did was just so needed and, and, and just, you know, once you, once you understood Glassdoor for VCs, you're like, of course. Um, but what, what are some other things? Have you invested in other kind of founder tech? things like that or what what when you when you look out you think okay that's really smart like 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 i said i think something like vested is really really smart and what was when you look out on the horizon you see these tools what what impresses you yeah i yeah so yeah invested in landscapes obviously i'm biased on that one i agree vested is good things like carter as well um a big fan of anthony at sea legals i think they sort of changed the game there as Definitely. well um so i think that's a great bit of founder tech and and is you know if if you ever want to label founder tech it's for me it's illegal a very startup focused business um i i'm very interested at the moment in the vehicles that are helping founders create their own sort of spvs or sort of uh, for people that don't know that is, it's like a small investment vehicle where you can get friends and family to invest, you know, like 50 quid, 100 quid. And then on the cap table, you don't have, you know, 80 people. So basically, you can do your own sort of uh, fun, uh, fundraise. Um, I think that's going to be quite a powerful bit of tech. So, you know, you've got Angel List in America. There's one in the UK called Odin, um, which I personally use for my own SPV as well. Um, I think that is a great way to open up new channels of funding. You know, if you can, you don't need to do the the financials behind it. You don't need to do the legals behind it. Literally, all you need to do is send uh, a link to your friends and family or colleagues or whatever and say, look, you can invest £50 minimum. Um, And that can be a great way to, you know, get some pre-pre-seed capital in um without having to do um you know going on the uh the, the crowdfunding websites and all of that which is you know much much bigger ask um so yeah the, the 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 financials i think that that's a very interesting space as well at the moment sort of access to capital um they're sort of the main ones i think you know you're right it's interesting you picked out on this word founder tech it is quite underserved. uh i think a lot of us founders use tools like notion and trello um to organize ourselves um not not you know they're not necessarily groundbreaking you know these tools bless them are essentially up, up, upgrades on word and yeah. uh, their kanbans as well you know there's nothing revolutionary there but you know great products still and great great marketing um so i think a lot of us use those as well um 
and yeah, I, I, I'm looking at as like business intelligence. So, but at a smaller scale, like how do you really understand this model that you're building? Yeah, uh, I think that's very interesting. As I mentioned, the forecasting itself, building your own financial model, I think that's very interesting. I totally agree. Uh, and I've seen a few decks around that recently, so I think you know that might be might be a, a an interesting space that starts cropping up. But you know, Seed Legals has proved it at scale, but then also you know you've got to understand that it's not actually a massive market. Um, as I said with Trumpet, we were we were looking at a piece of founder tech, and we're like, well, do we go after founders? That also, don't forget, with founders, you've got high churn because only one in ten survive. Um, or you know, for us, we were moved into the sales space where you know every company sells, so it's turned into it's a huge tam. Um, so maybe that's a reason why it's a bit more underserved um, because. When you're in the bubble, it seems huge. Um, but actually, if you look at the numbers um, and the data, th- th- you're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new potential clients every year. It's actually a bit, it is smaller than that. So maybe that's a reason why uh, founders haven't focused on founder tech. Interesting. Um, just as we wrap up, then, just uh, just, just picking up what you were saying before. Um, there's this term solo capitalists, this is all founder, you know, founder driven capital, um, where founders are able to be sort of the, the, the main player on people have been founders, sorry, can invest and be the main, the main player on the cap table and bring most of the value. Would you describe yourself as that? And do you think it's an interesting term and development? And again, who are there a couple of other solo capitalists? But, um, but, but let's say UK ones. I know there's more in the US that you look towards. Like just just finishing on that idea. What what's your thoughts there, and and how it applies to yourself? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting term. I think it's it's um, it's gonna it's gonna be a great wave of of capital for new founders, um, exited founders with their own capital. Um, you know, we, we, you obviously have to let this wave happen over the last 10 years for founders to exit, um, have a breather and then think, OK, I want to be an angel investor. Um, so I think it's quite, uh, much, much bigger in America than it is in Europe. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think with, with the rise of, of the unicorns in uh, Europe, I think over the next sort of five to 10 years, it's going to be a big thing. I, I think you're going to see founders themselves creating their own funds um and yeah look i'm very honored to be put in that list um i do think that exit founders add a lot more value um you know when i see the the companies i invest in i'm in about 55 at the moment um i'd like to think the value that i add over someone that's never been a founder um is a lot more real um they it's a lot less formal as well because we just you know we we are less formal people uh, if we've been a founder. So, you know, they've all got my number and they can WhatsApp me whenever and send me a voice note, um, you know, any problem. And I think that's something I say to them is I, I genuinely can help you with any problem, no matter how trivial, because I know how a trivial matter can be quite big. So whether it's your own mental health, whether it's a team issue, whether it's an office issue, whether it's um, flex versus non-flex, you know, all the all these things that make being a founder very difficult for the first time. I think the founders I invest in appreciate that I've been there um, and by no means take my advice, but 
it's good for them to have another shoulder to lean on. I almost look at it as being like a co-founder. So, you know, any, any things you might not feel comfortable telling an institutional investor um, or, you know, let's just say an older angel investor, rip that off and tell me everything. Um, you know, you've got my money at this stage, so <laughs> I can't take the money away. So my job is to, to make this a success and you're going to hit some bumps. So, you know, I'm here for all of those bumps. So I think, yeah, it, I think it's exciting. And I think the more exited founders that can then invest um, is great. You know, you've got Tom at Monzo has become a very active uh, angel investor. Um, a good friend of mine called Alex McDonald. Um, I know Alex, yeah. He writes a lot about angel investing. Yeah. He's got a great business, Velocity Black. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I adore JP from All Plants. Um, I actually invest in All Plants. Uh, he's, he's an incredible founder, but he also does angel tickets as well now. So it's not even necessarily ones that have exited, but obviously ones that are at quite scale now, you know, I imagine have taken money off the table in some respect. Uh, so are also doing angel checks. And I think the final thing to mention, which I think we're going to see a much bigger wave of is um, angel syndicates because of the the platforms I mentioned that angel I is in. I think there, I'm in a few already um, where you're actually getting current founders together who might actually only be able to put in maybe one, two, three grand checks. Um, so they haven't exited, so they haven't got the lump sums to invest. But, you know, what's super powerful about that is if you can get one of these syndicates on your cap table, you're getting 15 current founders of probably scale up businesses yeah. Um, yeah. who could a potentially be customers of yours, but b give you that real life experience. Um, and it's a great foot in the door for founders as well to start angel investing uh, before the exit. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those come out as well. Awesome. Um, well, I think there's there's so much more to unpack there, but let's let's finish there. Um, I think the, the the overall point, which is continually comes out, that there is no, there is something there is a there there around this, and it's at an inflection point. And my view is is that if we can accelerate these behaviours and these tools and this kind of shift almost in uh, you know agility and mindset that that kind of wraps around all that in two three years, we might end up in a you know in a much richer ecosystem word that's overused but you know what i mean like if we go back from your 2010 to 2022 i think by 2025 a lot of these things could just become norms um and if that's the case i think the broader thing is that it unleashes a whole wave of kind of like this 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 different layer of innovation and people that are solving very niche but very valuable problems and i think that is the ultimate destination for this personally um that we can that that, that happens through Better, better tools, better, better fanatech. But I really appreciate your your, your view on view on this, and um, yeah, it's been been really fascinating to chat. So thank thank you, Nick. No, thanks a lot for having me.